welcome to the Wealth and Purpose Podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to creating wealth in a way that feels really good and live their purpose fully in the process. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive business coach. I'm also a wife, a mom to two preteens, a professor, Girl Scout leader, and well, hey, you get it. Like you, I wear a lot of hats. Whether you're looking for inspiration to get started or strategies to get growing, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Okay, welcome everyone. I am so excited for my guest today, Laura Kelly. She is the founder of the Handwork Studio, and we'll hear more about what that business is about. The reason I'm excited to have her here as my guest is she is one of the people that at a very tender time on my journey said something to me that changed the course of the way I was approaching my health, my business, she was like an angel that was sent on my path. And I just think she is brilliant at business. She's smart as a woman, just being a woman on the planet at this time. And she's a good human being. So she really encapsulates what I think it means to live your wealth and purpose. And I'm excited for you to hear about her today and hear from her. So welcome, Laura. Patty, thank you. That intro was so unexpected and I look forward to following up when we're done here um, just to hear exactly what because it's funny how you can touch somebody and you know it's just a conversation and you have no idea how your words can sort of um, resonate with someone so thank you that was very kind. Yeah, well, I'm sure in future podcasts, I'm going to be telling people, go back to the Laura podcast because she's the one I'm talking about. She's my (laughs) angel I'm talking about. Okay, well, let's jump in. And the first question I ask everyone is, you know, because the podcast is about creating wealth, but staying in alignment to what's really important to you and your purpose, how how do you define wealth? What do you consider to be wealth? So I think wealth is defined... For me, wealth is defined differently at different stages of my life. So for me, when my kids were little and I was just married, wealth was around having enough money to pay the mortgage, to put money away for college, to create a lifestyle that I had envisioned for my family. Today, wealth is time for Mm. me. And so... I now am willing to pay for my time and the ability to pay for my time, to get my time back. Um, that is, you know, whether I'm creating wealth for myself or not. Oh, I love that. So, you know, I want to hear more about what you think, uh, what your purpose is, which is usually my second question, but I think your business is so closely tied to it and to your story. Why don't we jump in there and tell, you can tell everyone what the Handwork Studio is and what you're working on. Sure. So the Handwork Studio is a kid's needle arts machine sewing and fashion studio is how it was started. Um, So we started with after school classes. And then over the last 17 years, um, we've really found a niche in the marketplace where um, this really didn't exist for kids, a place where they could learn 
to do these kinds of arts. And so um, we've grown it into really primarily a camp business. So in the summertime, we're in 40 different locations in 10 states, working with about 2,500 kids every summer. And then most recently, um, the project is, become, is to make us become more of a national presence, have a more national presence. And so we've had a partnership with Simplicity Creative Group, where we are creating patterns that are written uh, exclusively for kids so that they can read and follow along as well as watch a video and learn how to sew. Mm, so good. And I, you know, if if you are listening and you go to the website, you'll see Laura's story and it's just so beautiful and so sweet. Uh, but why don't you just give kind of like the inspiration for starting this? Because this is really ties in closely to your purpose. Sure, absolutely. So um, the business, I'm not a crafter. I still don't craft. I can maybe craft as well as an eight-year-old is what I like to say. <laughs> but you get a talented eight-year-old and they probably have me beat. And so I don't come at this business from a crafter's perspective. It's I really came at this business as a mom. And I was looking for preschool for my kids. They were small. They were four or five at the time. And I, uh, there was a local preschool. It was in the basement of this church. Um, and it, they, uh, kids were all doing needle arts. They were stitching little animals and they were playing under hand-dyed silks and they were grinding their millet for their snack. And I stood in the doorway and I looked into this classroom and I cried. And to me, this felt like love. And I said, if my kids can't be with me, which is where, where I really wanted them to be, this was the kind of environment I wanted them to be in. Mind you, none of this was going on in my house, right? So it, when I saw it, I think it was um, really just touched my heart of what love felt like. And so that's where I put my kids and they were there for a couple of years. And then we ended up leaving school. And when we left, I wanted to take the best part of it with me, which was the handwork. And I hired a handwork teacher and we offered classes at my house for two years. And then a building became available in the town next to me. So we bought the building and then I grew the business as my kids grew. So first it was just after school classes because my kids could come down after school and sit in the basement and do their homework or sit in on a class. And then it was weekends when I could afford to pay somebody to come in on weekends. And then it was camp because, well, no, first it was birthday parties because parents wanted birthday parties and then camp. And so I've really just grown the business during the last 17 years. As my children grew, um, I was able to grow the business and devote more time to it um, because I could afford to uh, pay people you know, to come and work it. So, and, and I just love it. I just love the business concept because it, I'm similar. Like I, crafting is the opposite of what I want to do, but I love the idea of someone else doing the crafts with my children. Right. right. I love them having that experience. <laughs> I just don't want to have to be the one that does it. Um, <laughs> so I want to get into the topic of money in the context of wealth. Cause I do think as much as I want the concept of wealth to be broader than money, one of the reasons we start, a lot of us start sacrificing things that are important to us is because we think money can't come in the context of those things. So tell me what your experience is making money and, and where it, you know, where it worked, like where it coincided with your values and where you kind of had to sacrifice some of your values to, you know, in your mind, pay the bills. 
So that's interesting notion of money and values. And I think I know where you're going with that. But for me, I mean, money is good, right? We should not feel badly about making money for lots of reasons. I think one, the more money you have, the more good you can do, the more people you can employ, the more you can provide for your family. So I don't think that there was ever a time that I had to sacrifice my values from money. That's not to say that there aren't people out there that are willing to do that, willing to lie, cheat, and steal for it, right? I even mean like where you had to maybe work longer hours than you would have wanted to. You know, like the thing for you that you said was important was like now at this stage is time, but I'm sure it always was, you know, like even it wouldn't be necessarily your integrity, But where you had to work for someone you didn't like or, you know, put up with something that you didn't really feel an integrity putting up with. Yeah. I would say it was more at one point. So I started first in the travel industry where you made little to no money. And that's when I got married and made the conscious decision that I wanted to make more money. And so I had to make a change of industry because I knew by staying in that industry, it was not going to come to me. So it was a conscious decision to do that. And I even tell that to my kids today, right? We all have the same 24 hours in a day and you can either make a lot of money or you can make less money. So it, that should be a conscious decision for you. I think when you're deciding how to spend your time. Um, And so then I moved down to Wall Street and worked for a financial services firm. And I did that for a couple of years and I really didn't enjoy that work though. The money was excellent. And I stayed there until it came to the point where I had children and my kids were small. I still even worked there while my children were small. And then my boss and my nanny quit at the same time. And I took that as a sign that it was time for me to quit and to try to pursue. At that point, I don't even know what I was trying to pursue. I think it was just trying to be spend more time with my kids Mm -hmm. at that time. And so I quit at that time and I did anything to be able to stay with them. So I would um, watch my neighbor's kids and I had a little play group um, that I would take from preschool. I would take four or five kids home with my kids and they all played in the backyards. And these were, I did this for mothers that were working. So I was providing a service to them and helping myself at that time. Then as my kids were young, came the notion of building this business. And so I think I'm not motivated by money though I like it. I like being able to travel and mostly travel is the way I like to spend my money. Yeah. So money to me is something I think that should be used that brings value to your life. Mm, I love that. And and one of the reasons that I did want to have you you know, on the podcast and share your journey was also because of the journey you took with money. So there was a point where you were, you know, I think at least this is the experience of a lot of women. I know we, we knew how to make money and then we end up in an entrepreneurial venture and it doesn't always work out or your husband gets laid off or, you know, whatever the journey is. And suddenly your financial picture doesn't match what you know of yourself right? Or what you expected for yourself. And you, you have choices in that moment. And just the way that I want you to tell the story, but the way you told the story to me really 
just hit my heart in a very deep way because I could hear the truth in the way you approached it and the resilience you had. So share a little bit about that. Right. So uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the time when I was uh, doing real estate investing. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a time when you could buy real estate on a credit card. And so my husband and I were buying lots of real estate. I think it accumulated up to about $3 million in lots of um, condos is what we were doing. And then at that time, I think towards the tail end of it, my husband was laid off from work and the market fell out of, you know, crashed. Um, The real estate market crashed. And so I found myself in around 2005, 2006 in a situation where my business was only earning a couple of thousand dollars a year. And all of that money was being paid out to other people who were teaching the classes that we were taking out loans just to support the loans that we had on the real estate. I mean, in some ways it was the, really the best thing that ever happened to me because it was in that moment that I needed to decide whether or not um, I was going to continue to run this business um, as a business or sort of as a hobby. And with my husband not working, you know, I just buckled down and just said, okay, that's it. And I think at that point, my business, I, I took the business from a $30,000 business and probably over the next two years made it into about $140,000 business. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, you know, finding the courage and the determination. And, and what I learned from that is you can lose hundreds of thousands of dollars and bounce, bounce back. Yeah. That's so. It. so, so can we go there a little bit? Can we talk about like the numbers, like what you guys were facing in terms of, you know, what, what did the debt look like versus the income? And I know that that shifted wildly now in your life. So right. you know, what did that look like? Because I think there's a lot of people that the weight of their situation just feels so big that they can get to a place where they feel hopeless. And that's what I love about you is every time I've talked to you, you just there, there's just no room for that hopelessness. And so it brings up such a curiosity in me is... How, how do you live like that without giving into those like base human fears? Oh, trust me. I mean, I've lived in the dark places, but luckily I feel like sometimes I'm a new soul and very impressionable. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to a lot of uplifting speakers. And, and at some point I just decided that Everything is in my mind. The story I tell myself is in my mind and that I have control over, right? That's so good. So can you just um, give the numbers to the listeners? Because I think it'll bring some context to it. Sure. I'm I'm even trying to remember. I mean, I can tell you about the losses. So I know in 2006, my husband lost his job with a company was sold. He didn't lose the job, but but the company was sold. And... So at that time, I don't know, he was probably making around $100,000 and that money just went away. My business, granted, I think I, I had said, you know, I was in that 30,000 range, but most of that was expenses also, right? Mm-hmm. That's paying other people. That's not, that's revenue. That's not profit. Mm-hmm. And then because at the time, I guess you did have such access to cash. So we could take out these loans that would pay our mortgage. 
And it was at that point that I had even quit my job. So I'm like babysitting for neighbors' kids. I remember I'm standing in the grocery store. My children were, I think my son was maybe three. And I went to get up cash to pay. And I didn't have enough. And my son happened to be carrying like a little fanny pack kind of a thing. And he had money in there. And I went in to go pay the balance with his money. And he starts screaming, my money, my <laughs> money, you're taking my money in the grocery store. And you just think like, oh my God, this is what my life has come to. Right? So so talking about, so that's probably where we were financially. There was no money coming in. Oh, you know what we did? I'll tell you how we survived. We, we took our 401k and we cashed out. Hmm. And that's, that, that, that was how. We also had just moved into a new house. So we sold a, a house. We moved into our new house and there was, um, we did end up making a, a decent amount of cash, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I would say we took about 150 of that. And we lived on that for like a year or two, plus cashing out the 401k. So we were able to float ourselves for a couple of years mm-hmm. that way. But my, my husband has no job. I have, you know, basically no job. And the house we bought was a $700,000 house. You know, we had a four or $5,000 mortgage. And we're just every month chewing into our reserves, chewing in. So, um, you know, it was during that time that I decided to make a go of the business and work really hard at it. And then for my husband, it was at a time where he was unhappy in his previous career. And so I said, you know, work on yourself. I want you to be happy. I want you to be happy. And then at the end of two years, I said, I don't care if you're happy. Go get a job. Like, I'm done. I'm done with this. And so luckily he had done a lot of self-reflection during those two years and he went back into the same industry, but he went back as a different person hmm. and he went back much happier. And, um, and then that was a turning point. So him going back, me deciding to make a go of the business. Um, we had, as far as real estate losses during that time, we'd bought a house down at the shore. It was going to be a tear down and we were going to build a house and we were going to flip it. And the market fell out and that didn't happen. And so we ended up selling that. I think we went to the closing table on that one. No, we didn't. We lost about $150,000 on that house. And then at the exact same time, bought a house, a condo in Florida and a hurricane hit and the building was virtually demolished. It was unlivable, uninhabitable. And so we were carrying that $3,000 mortgage every month for at least a year and a half until the building could be repaired and people could move into it. And then we sold that one. And that was also at at great loss as well. Is that enough numbers for you? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what? I think it's, I know I, cause I'm such a, I know I'm like for the listeners, I'm a fairly like, I sound like a woo woo person, but my background is in banking and numbers give me comfort because I think they ground them in the reality of, they, they ground all of us in the reality of the situation. Not that we have to pay attention to that reality, to your point, it's our thoughts, but I think it's, you know, the numbers help put a context to it. So my question then is, what did you do in your thoughts? Like what was going on in your head? Because you took the business to 140 and you've taken the business wildly successful since then. 
Um, but one, you're working in selling to mothers, which I've done and am one, and I know it's no easy sale, right? And all the time, it, it wasn't a straight line up, I'm sure. So I'm sure even in the process of growing it, there were times where there were signs that maybe you weren't going to be able to make it, you know, whether you believed it or not. What did you do? Like, what were you thinking? What'd you say to yourself that kept you going? In a lot of ways, I just wouldn't let my mind go there. And when I would find myself getting to that really dark place, I, I would actually say the words like, that's just, it's in, it's in your head. And you have the capability of turning this around. And there is so much money in the world. And you just need to figure out how to bring it in. And I just believed that I would someday do that. And I guess, and another really good thing, I think my dad had taught me this lesson. He said, always think of the worst case scenario. And if you can live with it, then go, go for it. And so when I was buying real estate, I would always say, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And so I guess I had gotten to the point where I was like, well, I can always sell the house that I live in because the building that my business is in has a two bedroom apartment up above. And I know that my business not only covers the rent for the downstairs, but it covers the mortgage. So worst case scenario, I'll move into that building. And that's what I would always do is go to the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I would never be on the street, I guess, because I had that business that the building, the building that the business was in. And that I think knowing that my at least basic need would be covered and my kids were in public school. And so what did I really need at that point? Right. I was willing to give up the big house and, you know, or I knew I could give it up until we turned things around. I love that because um, what I think I've seen a lot of people do, especially people who believe in law of attraction and who do the thought work is they fool themselves into thinking, don't look at the worst case scenario, right? Pay attention to what you want, visualize what you want. Mm -hmm. But I do think that looking at the worst case scenario and knowing what your plan is in that worst case scenario once again, it grounds you in, in a truth that your brain needs to hear in order to give your, what I consider your soul, the room to kind of fly and do what it's going to do. Yeah, absolutely. So good. So, you know, one, I do want to point out because the listeners might be curious too, since we're going to talk after later is what's the thing that you said to me that turned it around for me. And, and it was, you touched on it just now and you actually didn't say the words, but this is what you said to me because, um, you know, we had, I was in this crisis of thinking I was so successful in corporate. I, we had built up the savings. We had built up this 401k and then we had to eat through all of it because of life. You know, my husband got let go. I started the business. My mom got sick. I was her caretaker and I was just so frustrated, you know, that it was, we were in this situation and you said, and you told me the truth about your story, but then what you said to, I said, what did you do? And you said, I always knew what I was capable of. And I always knew what was possible. And I always put more energy into what was possible. I didn't pay attention to the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that was one thing 
the other thing you said to me, which probably has nothing to do with what the listeners are facing, but I'll throw it out there was I was in tears too. And you said, Oh honey, I think, I think hormones might be an issue. right? And they often are. Well, what happened was it wasn't hormones in the, the, you know, where we thought it was when we were talking, but it was actually adrenal fatigue. And it was addressing the adrenal fatigue that had been a result of me stressing about building this business faster and faster and whatever. And, you know, the weight of all the other stuff that turned it around. And I finally put, put my health on the radar. And that was part of the inspiration for starting to launch the events and eventually this podcast around this idea of wealth versus money. Because if you lose time, you lose the relationships. And for my case, you lose your health in the process of money. It doesn't matter. And, you know, as I've watched you, um, and we haven't known each other for a long, long time, but as I've watched you, it's just everything you do to me has always looked grounded and filled with love. And that to me is incredible because if something has even an ounce of fear in it, love can't be present. And if love is present, fear can't be present. And there is such a palpable experience of love in everything you do, Laura, that I know the presence of fear is just so limited in your existence. And to me, I'm constantly curious about that. I'm constantly looking for the ways to strip fear from my life and the life of other people. So what, what would you have to say about that? Well, I would say that it's really not, and I'm going to disagree a little bit. Okay. Um, Fear is very much there. And even in love, fear is there. Fear can be good, right? Fear can, it was my fear of losing everything, right? That made me pull my act together, make some hard decisions, put a plan in action. So it can be incredibly constructive fear. You just can't let it take you over and take you to that dark place and not be able to find your way back out of it. We all go to the dark place. We all go to that really scary place. I'm probably in that situation right now um, in my own life where I'm in a very confused spot. So I just don't want the listeners to think that there are people that are out there that are fearless. Mm, okay. I, I think everyone, even the most successful people experience fear. They just move forward in spite of the fear. That's what makes them successful. That's so good. That's such a good clarification. Cause I didn't say it the way I wanted, you know, if that's the way it sounded, that was not what I meant. What I meant was specific to our businesses that we can do, we can take actions in our businesses that are guided by fear, like the fear that a client's going to go away, the fear that we're not going to make enough money and that infuses in the business. But when you can shift it to love, which is what you want, like I want to keep our house, I want my children to feel safe, I want my customers to have a good experience, I want a lot of customers, you know, like you move into that desire and then you come at it from a place of love. That's what I experience when I look at your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
And that's what I mean by the absence of fear, meaning I know the fear is not driving the choices you're making in the way you're putting your stuff out into the world. Even when you were, you know, even when you were considering um, the patterns, putting the patterns out and working through that, like, you know, you, I know you had choices that were driven by, you know, what if I make the wrong choice or what if I, you know, com- overcommit or whatever, but ultimately I watched you and you constantly pulled yourself back to what can I do? What's yes. possible, you know? And that to me is just so inspiring, Laura. Well, I think we're very fortunate as entrepreneurs. We have ultimate control over our day, over our business, over everything. Actually, I I shouldn't say everyone, right? Because not everyone in the world is afforded some of the opportunities that we have, right? So I don't, I don't, I can't speak for the everyone. But I, I, I want to say for your listeners, I firmly believe that we have choices um, that we make that we can make every day to create the life that we want. So I think trying to be clear on that vision is important, knowing what's important. And that I think goes back to values. You know, ultimately for me, it's always been about family. Mm-hmm. And so, and it continues to be about family. So uh, that's what it, all my decisions, you know, always came, came back to, you know, can I spend time with my family? Will they, will they suffer um, in any way by the actions that I make? And now it's about building my future for my family that's motivating me and my business in trying to create a more self-managing company. So now I can be there, you know, for my children's children when the time comes. I love that. You're so smart, Laura. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, uh, my final question I usually ask is, you know, what advice do you have to someone who's looking to grow their wealth while staying aligned with their purpose? However, I'm going to change that question for you. Cause I just want to get a little bit of a different angle on it. Sure. So if you could travel back in time to yourself at any point on this journey, is there some point that you would, that you'd like to drop in knowing we wouldn't do that because then you wouldn't be where you are and you wouldn't have learned everything you learned. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yep. All that aside, yep. where you could drop in on one, one point of that journey and like have a long talk with yourself and tell yourself yeah. something, what would it be? So I alluded to it a little bit before and it's, so I have young adults. I have a 24 year old son, a 23 year old daughter, right? Who are on the precipice of, you know, just entering the work world. And Again, we all have the same 24 hours. And to be really intentional with how you want to spend your time and the career choices that you make. Yeah, I just remember my son was in sixth grade and he was like, oh yeah, when I grow up, I either want to go into like sports management or I want to go into finance. I said, well, great. Let's look at the two starting salaries of the two of them. And let's, let's see what the potential of both of those are. And as a sports manager, it was like, you would start at $30,000. And as a financial guy, you'd start at $80,000. And in that moment, he said, oh, I want to be a finance guy. And so here he is now, you know, at 24 in his second year, you know, working in Manhattan in finance, doing, you know, far better, like sixfold of what I did at his age. And so I, I would say that to people. I... 
and I'm a little bit conflicted because, you know, they, the, 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 the comment is do what you love and the money will follow. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, I took a knitting and sewing business and I made it into a million dollar business. Right. So that's kind of like, if you were to ask somebody, oh, can you do that? You know, can you, can you take your love of knitting and make it into a million dollar business? Most likely the answer is going to be no, you know, that you're really not going to be able to do that. And, and so there's, and so, you know, I'm going to start to ramble a little bit, but I'm a little bit torn because I don't think that craft is really what I loved. What I loved was this, this notion of um, nurturing kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, I think that the kids market is a, a much broader market. There's more opportunity in that. And I was able to combine that and create this great opportunity that I have. So there's a combination of what you love, but also with real intentionality. Well, I don't I know if that makes sense. It sounds yeah. very confused, but... I think it sounds, yeah, and you answered the original question, which is what's the advice you would have, which is you can create wealth doing what you love, but you have to make the choice to make it a million dollar business. It doesn't become a million dollar business simply because you wander along the path of what you love. It comes with an intention. So, but you didn't answer the question of, so if you could drop back into your own life, what point would you drop in and what advice would you give yourself? Mm. Yeah, I think I would have just right out of college, I would have dropped in and I, and I would have said basically, you know, what I tell my kids is think about the potential of the career you want to go into. And can you really live the kind of life that you envision in that field? I love that. Right. Think about it. Yeah. Because some of us have big grandiose dreams. We want to live in a big house and drive fancy cars and um, do all that kind of stuff you know, but we want to be dog walkers. And, you know, I joke because I say, and I say dog walkers intentionally. My girlfriend is a dog walker. She has a dog walking business. It's a six figure dog walking business. She's incredibly successful at that. So it's taking that notion of being an individual dog walker or making a company out of dog walking. And she was able to provide that kind of a lifestyle for herself because she took this idea of what she wanted to be. And then she blew, you know, grew it into this big business. So, so good. And you know what, that's something I tell every single client that works with me is you cannot let your business tell you what it's capable of making. You must tell your business what you want it to make. And then you have to tell it by showing it the plan. Now the plan may not be ending up what makes you money, but that plan and that direction is what brings your business to success. Not waiting around for it to just happen. Absolutely. It's looking for opportunities, educating yourself, listening to, to podcasts like this, um, reading, getting with other smart women who you admire and sharing stories and figuring out you know, how they did it. Because none of this is new and unique, right? We've all gone through some sort of version of this. And so you just, why recreate the wheel? Just find somebody who's done something that you admire and apply it to your idea and just pick their brains about it. Mm, So good. You're so right. So um, thank you so much, Laura. Now I want people to be able to find you. So why don't you uh, tell everyone where they can find you? Absolutely. So our website is thehandworkstudio.com. 
And you can always reach me at laura at thehandworkstudio.com. Awesome. And all that will be in our show notes. So any last words you want to leave our listeners with, Laura? No, I just, I love that we're having this conversation. And I think our original conversation was probably, is it going on two years now? More. Yeah. That's not possible. I think so. And how quickly it goes. And to see how you took something that was so dark and now here you are two years later, bringing light to it, both not only for yourself, but for so many other listeners. That's a beautiful thing. And I think that that's the glimmer of hope that we all have to have when we're feeling that negativity is that, you know, there will be a brighter day as long as you just keep moving towards it. Because I'm sure you didn't imagine two, two and a half, three years ago that you'd be in this place doing this, speaking about the very thing that caused you mm-hmm. so much pain. Yeah, you are absolutely right. And I'll even say this for the listeners, since we're right at the beginning of launching this podcast, this is one of the very first podcasts, is that up until the moment that I even committed to doing this, I still was a little fearful because one of the commitments I had to doing this is I would not show up as someone at the top of the mountain because I'm not. And, you know, I'm not at the bottom of the mountain anymore, but um, probably never was. But my goal is always to show up as the student in every way possible and showcase people that I look up to that are inspiring me, that are making a difference. And there's a vulnerability when you show up without the shield of expertise. And I knew if I was going to do this, it had to be without that shield. So there we go. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's brilliant that you're doing it. And I think so many people are going to benefit from it. And, and just to one point you said, there is no top of the mountain, Mm. right? There is no horizon. Every time you get halfway there, the horizon moves all that much further back. And so it's, and that's the gap, right? From where you are and where the horizon is. And you can't let yourself live in that gap. You know, you really have to be happy with where you are knowing that you're not going to be there a year from now, two years from now. It's always going to be moving. I say there is no there. Like, oh, I can't wait till I get there. There is no there. So if you're waiting to get there and you're waiting to start because you want to be ready, you want to be perfect, you want to be the expert in the podcast before you do the podcast, we would never start. Mm. So sometimes you just have to take that leap like you did and know that you're going to learn along the way. And this episode is going to be very different from episode 100 and episode 200. So, um, and we have to allow ourselves and give ourselves that freedom to learn as we go and to not be perfect. So. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I can't wait to hear more. Thank you, Laura. And then for you listeners, thank you so much for being here because God bless you. If you're listening at this point, you probably either you're traveling back in time, maybe, and maybe at this point I've proven myself or you're related to me and you've chosen to listen to it because of that reason. Uh, Either way, I am so grateful for you sticking with us and I am feel so privileged to have brought you Laura's brilliance. So thank you, Laura. Oh, this was such a joy. Thank you, Patty. 
Okay. Bye everyone. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the Wealth and Purpose Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found us. It fills my heart when I read a review and helps us reach many more people. So thank you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.